So if you want to own the banks, maybe you consider owning not the bank common stock, but the bank preferred stock, where maybe you can get a four, five, six percent yield on some of these companies that just tend to trade sideways. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this week's episode of The Capitalist Investor. You've got Mark and Derek today. Mark, what's going on, man? What's up, bro? Dude, we got some swag in. (laughs) Yeah, we do. Swag has officially arrived, people. And I'll tell you, it's in high demand. It is. We've had a lot of awesome reviews. Big list going to get these puppies out. Yeah. The OKC review from about a week ago. He said he feels like Bradley Cooper in Limitless when he listens to us. <laughs> I don't know if it's that good, but that was a good review. It's not. <laughs> I've seen that movie. I want that pill. So if you're on the YouTube channel, here's the shirts. Oh, yeah. The shirts are in. Now, look, we have women's sizes as well. We got one review from a female. So just wanted to mention, we do have women's shirts as well. You see the coffee mugs. And the weather sucks here in Cleveland. (laughs) It really does. It's like 42 and rainy. So D, the next round is we got to look at like either a hoodie or a puffer vest. We got to step it up. All right. We got some loyal listeners, which by the way, you got to go hit that subscribe button. We got some loyal (laughs) listeners and they deserve some extra swag. I love where your head's at and we're going to make it happen. We got to do that. So for any of you who have already written a review, you got your shirts and your cups on the way. And when we get that next batch of swag, you'll get some of that coming your way too. For those of you who haven't yet, give us that five-star review, but you actually have to write something too. Right. (laughs) And if you can one-up the Bradley Cooper thing, we're going to send you a ridiculous swag package. (laughs) I haven't figured out how ridiculous, but that's your competition out there. You got to write one better than that. Yeah. It was awesome. That was good. Really good. All right. So now we're going to talk real stuff. We're going to talk the show. So I came across this article over the weekend, D, on Bloomberg, and it's basically talking about the asset allocation dilemma, Mm -hmm. which is the 60-40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. It is structurally challenged, if not dead. It's a great topic because I feel a lot of questions on this. I talk about it a lot, you know, whether it's with clients or at an event or anything like that. You know, that typical 60-40 model that you've heard so much about for your whole life. Yeah. Especially in this current environment that we're in, where we're dealing with all kinds of stuff, including a global pandemic and 0% interest rates. Yeah. Like real 0% interest rates. It's really, really throwing a monkey wrench into, you know, your overall asset allocation as compared to... I'd like to use the example of like 2010, 2011, you know, coming out of the global financial crisis. You could kind of set it and forget it, if you will, with the 60-40 portfolio back then. Because interest rates were coming down. Interest rates on bonds were coming down. Therefore, bonds appreciated. They can't appreciate anymore. No. (laughs) And in fact, when interest rates go up, they depreciate. I mean, the 10 years yielding like three quarters of a percent right now. It is, yeah. I mean, I guess you have seen overseas, you've seen negative interest rates. Right. You know, there are some people who believe that's a possibility here. I would say it's a possibility, but it's unlikely. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's going to happen. But look, D, here's the issue, man. For the last 10, 20, 30 years, every single person who has been invested in any sort of an asset allocation model whether it's 60, 40, 70, 30, has never had to complain about the fixed income sleeve. Right. Because it has been additive 
two returns. Absolutely. Right? It's like, okay, I take no risk and I make 8% a year on that sleeve. <laughs> That's pretty nice. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, for real. Right? Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen going forward. No. That's done. Now, the 40% that's allocated to fixed income is going to be a significant headwind to your performance. Absolutely. So all of your performance, for the most part, is going to have to come from the 60% that's invested in stocks, or you got to get creative with the 40%. Right. And that's kind of what we want to talk about is how to properly structure the 60%. Now, for those of you who are younger... You can take the same conversation and apply it to a 70-30 strategy, an 80-20 strategy. Right. right. I think that's an important point for the younger listeners. There's just not as big of an advantage if you're you know, 20, 30, 40 even to putting a big chunk into that bond sleeve right now because of what you just said. Right. You're not getting that tailwind that's going to, you know, prop up your portfolio every single year. Yep. You know, that's pretty much gone. And, you know, as you were saying, you know, as interest rates rise, so we're basically at zero, they could still go down technically, but I agree with you, Mark. I think that seems unlikely, negative interest rates in this country at least. So as those interest rates start to come back up from zero, price of current bonds are going to fall. So, I mean, there's the potential for you to get a negative rate of return on that 40% sleeve. Right. For sure. That sucks. It does. <laughs> I don't want any money in bonds. No. But I'm also not retiring for quite some time. Right. Forever. <laughs> I love doing this. I'll tell you what, I might retire from the wealth management business and we'll just be 88 years old doing the podcast together. <laughs> well, if we keep getting those five-star reviews, I'm going to keep doing this yeah. with you. We'll have to have the band join us on yeah. these future podcasts. <laughs> Come I love on, that. <laughs> I love it. So I think what to do with the 40% nowadays, I think that is a fantastic topic to talk about. If you're closer to retirement, this probably would be of interest for you as well. So yeah, let's get into it. All right. So let's define that 40% before we get into what to do with the 40%. Because here's where my thought process has significantly changed over the last few years. I used to subscribe to these asset allocation philosophies, Mm -hmm. you know, 60, 40, 70, 30, depending on how aggressive or conservative someone wanted to be. But my conversations with clients over the course of the last several months to the last few years has been more along the lines of, we should only have enough money in that 40% sleeve to cover, what, maybe three or four years worth of expenses in the event of a severe market downturn right? so that you can avoid selling your stock portion of the portfolio while your stocks are down. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great rule right there. I like that better than 60, 40, 70, 30. Like Mm -hmm. how many years of living expenses do you need so that you could weather the storm and not sell any of your stocks while they're down? For some people, three years, some people, four, some people, five. It's probably three, four or five years. One of those three. And you set that aside. And if you're 70 years old and retired, And based on the size of your portfolio, that means you can be Mm 80-20. By all means, be 80-20. So I've completely changed my thought process on asset allocation. I personally think the traditional asset allocation models, they're endangered to extinct. And you need to think differently. You just said it perfectly there. I almost don't have anything at all to add. Okay, the show's over. (laughs) (laughs) That is exactly what people need to do. They need to think differently about these things. And that has just been compounded by the fact of the COVID-19 global pandemic, whatever we're calling it now. It's really just 
made that point so much more visible. Like you can see it, right? As you see these big swings in the market, you can see how portfolios are protected or are not protected based on their asset allocation. I think that's a fantastic point. It's time to think differently about some of this stuff. Yeah. So let's get back to the 60-40 conversation. Mm -hmm. And if you want to have 40% in fixed income, let's talk about some fixed income alternatives. How can we get better than a zero, one, 2% rate of return or potentially negative return on that sleeve of money? Indeed, this article mentions a few different options here. Whole business securitizations. I don't know. I didn't read the article. So I, I don't know if that's <laughs> I think we should pass on private. that one. That, I would assume that's private equity. If you have enough money, you can get into some private equity positions, which give you the opportunity to own shares in privately held companies that aren't publicly traded. Mm-hmm. That is certainly an asset class that is not correlated with the stock market that would give you. That's actually a return enhancer. The problem is it's illiquid. Right. This is supposed to be the safer portion of your portfolio. So I don't necessarily like, you know, just saying something like that would be a bond replacement per se, because I think the risk level with that is much higher than a traditional bond. You want to be careful, I think, of just replacing bonds with something else that just pays interest, right? Because they can still be risky. And, you know, it depends on where you want your risky money spread out. But I would lean more towards gross stocks than something like that. Yeah, without a doubt, because they're liquid. Entertainment royalties. I don't even know what to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) How did they come up with that? I don't know. It doesn't fit very well. They say, remember Bowie bonds, David Bowie. I do not remember Bowie bonds. Nor do I. (laughs) Are there really entertainers that are allowing you to partake in their royalties? Not to my knowledge. Okay. The closest thing I could think of, do you remember like professional athletes issued shares of stock? I forget who did it first. Gotta be Lloyds of London insuring J-Lo's butt. (laughs) Remember that? I do remember that. So yeah, entertainment royalties is not something that I would like to get into as a bond bond. Okay, we're going to skip that one. So we're just going to skip everything here. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much you can skip most of the articles. Next up is single family rentals, which I actually like. I mean, I think if you can find a good rental property Mm -hmm. that can throw off some positive cash flow, I do like that idea because there's mm-hmm. some tax benefits too. Absolutely. Which is obviously part of the reason that you know Trump is being criticized for having a $750 tax bill. Anyone that knows anything about real estate knows that real estate can throw off positive cash flow, but literally because of depreciation show no income. It's one of the great things about real estate. Now, when you sell it, it makes your capital gain that much more significant. So the tax will eventually be paid unless there's a step up in basis as Mm -hmm. it passes to your beneficiaries. So I like the single family rental idea because most of the people that listen to this podcast probably don't have so much money that they could afford to buy a multifamily property on their own. I'd prefer multifamily. Mm -hmm. I think your risk is lower. I'd rather have 25 tenants or 100 tenants than one who could be a problem tenant, could be a total pain in the butt. With one single family home, in my opinion, you do have to be the landlord. You do have to take those maintenance calls at two in the morning. When you own 15 to 20 to 25 units, you're typically going to hire a management company. So I like the single family home idea. What I think would be even better though, since you may not be able to afford a multifamily property on your own, 
is to find five or so people to go in with you. And that's a pretty common question that I get, you know, with my clients, whether they're selling property and moving to, you know, their retirement home, you know, do they keep that property and rent it out? Seen many clients who have friends who go in together and want to know if they should basically cash out of that deal. Real assets, I think in general, would be a very good category to plop into some of this 40%. And real estate would, would fit in there. So I do like the single family idea. I am a landlord myself. Are you? Yep. You remember the old bachelor pad? Yeah. Yeah, I still own that. Do you? Oh, yeah. Man. <laughs> right down there in the warehouse district? Oh, yeah. That was a great spot. It was a good time. I stumbled through that door a couple <laughs> times. <laughs> so yeah, you know, it gets stressful, you know, when you have to swap out a tenant or, you know, if they're not paying their bills, I haven't, fortunately, haven't had to deal with that. But at the same time, you're not making tens of thousands of dollars, you know, every year with just one rental, right? So and, it becomes a capital question. And it's an active investment. You do need to remember that. Yep. You're not active with your bond portfolio. Mm -hmm. It just, you collect your checks. When you own real estate, there's an ounce of you being active. Mm -hmm. It's not a full-time job by right. any means. I would assume your clients are just like my clients. Like my clients are pretty active in retirement. They're either really active vacationing, traveling the world, spending time with their grandkids, or they do something that they're passionate about to stay busy. I don't care if it's, you know, well sports teams, essentially <laughs> allowing fans. But, you know, back in the day, they'd go and they usher at the Cleveland Indians games, right? right. You get to watch 81 ball games for free. Mm -hmm. You don't get paid a lot, but it's a passion, right? It keeps you busy. So working a few hours a week on your rental property, it's probably good for your brain. Keeps you sharp, right? Mm -hmm. Just having to do a little bit of work. Absolutely. That. So if you want to own the banks, maybe you consider owning not the bank common stock, but the bank preferred stock, where maybe you can get a four, five, six percent yield on some of these companies that just tend to trade sideways. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you know And you already know they're gonna get bailed out if they ever go under. Right. Preferred stock, again, with the risk level, I think that's real important to always keep in mind. It's a step up from your bond market, yeah. but it's definitely a step below Common, common stock. stocks. Yeah. You know, so it's definitely less risky than just going out there and buying shares of common stock. But again, enhancing your return, I think that's a huge part of what we're trying to talk about here. And that's really what it does. And we're not talking about trying to hit like a home run right, with that exactly. 40%. Mm -hmm. We just don't want it to cripple your performance. <laughs> exactly. Because if you don't do something about that 40%, your returns are not going to look that rosy over the course of the next 10 years. No. You know, I was just talking with a prospective client and he wanted to know why we were using X percent returns. I think we assumed like a 6% forward looking return, a very conservative return to make sure his financial plan was going to work. And he wanted to know why we weren't using 10%. Because historically, that's what a, you know, over the last 10 years or 20 years, I think a 60 40 portfolio has done about 10%. Yep. And the answer is because that's not going to happen again. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. I mean, if you know anything about math, if you know anything about economics, anything about investments, you know that as bond interest rates go up, they decrease in value. <laughs> and with the 10 year treasury being three quarters of a percent, they really don't have any further to go. Right. I mean, if you think about it, bond interest rates have been falling for like the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. 
That's why everyone thinks they're basically risk-free, right? Risk-free, and it doesn't hurt to have them in the portfolio. Yeah, exactly. I think the main thing we're trying to communicate is they have the potential to hurt your portfolio. And I think the main takeaway, D, is to kind of go back to one of the first things I said. I don't think people should subscribe to a 60-40 or 70-30 cookie-cutter answer for their investment strategy anymore. I think the better way to think about it is how many years of expenses do I want to make sure are not in the stock market? Once you figure that out, you got to figure out you should have some bonds. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not saying to not own bonds at all. You should have some. But of that 40%, I don't know, maybe it's 10 to 20%. The one thing that we missed is annuities. Right. You read my mind there. <laughs> yeah. Look, annuities are the people that sell them are just scumbags. <laughs> they are because they lie about how they work. Yeah, that's true. But there are some annuities that are effective. They're not home runs. And there's these scumbags running around <laughs> doing radio shows talking about, hey, you get all the upside of the stock market with no downside risk. Mm -hmm. No, you don't. You really think that's how it works? It doesn't work <laughs> that way. If it sounds too good to be true, it's too good to be yep. true. But like there's some income annuities where our chief investment officer, Peter, he ran an analysis to calculate the internal rate of return right. mm -hmm. and they were north of four and a half percent. Right. Now, the issue with annuities, just like every other good thing we've talked about so far, mm -hmm. is that there's an element of illiquidity. Right. You can't put all your money in an annuity and then get it all back out the next day. Mm-hmm. There is a commitment period. And during that commitment period, if you pull all your money out, you get whacked with a penalty. But if it is a sliver of that 40%, it can be a very effective answer to minimize that headwind that you're going to have on your performance coming out of that bond sleeve. Absolutely. You know, it matters less if you're not in retirement, but if you're approaching retirement or in retirement, the real thing that can cripple someone's financial plan is just like you mentioned, having to pull money out of the pot, if you will, by selling stocks at depressed prices. Yep. So if you can get an income annuity, might not be super sexy or super high-flying returns, Yep. but if you're getting a guaranteed level of income at a certain point where you're pulling a smaller amount out of the bigger pot of stocks, it's not going to matter as much. You can weather that storm much better if you have other guaranteed income sources. No doubt. So at the end of the day, the two main takeaways. Number one, throw the 60-40 out the window and figure out how many years of expenses you want to cover. Mm -hmm. That becomes your 40. Right. It might be 20 for you. Even if you're 80 years old, it might only be 20%. Why would you sacrifice growth if you already know, if you're so high net worth that 20% covers the next 20 years of your expenses, right. like why, why would you have a bunch of extra money in bonds? That's perfect. That's exactly the question you should be asking yourself right. in that situation. So perfect. look, I don't know if the answer is three, four or five years. That's up to you. I would probably go with four. So if you look back to the financial crisis, the market peaked in October of 2007. It took six years for the market to get back to that same level. If you added in dividends, it took about four years to realize that total return. Mm -hmm. So if I had to pick three, four, five, I would say four, right? If you cover four years, you should be golden because that was, I think, the longest recovery other than maybe the Great Depression, mm -hmm. at least while we've been alive. That's the longest recovery. For sure. So the first thing is, who cares about the 40%? Figure it out on your own, how much you need. And I don't want to call it bonds. I don't even want to call it fixed income. Safer, 
income yielding. I don't yeah, know. What yeah. I, what I, <laughs> I struggled to come up with a new name because, yeah. like we're saying, it's a yes. new bucket. And then the second key takeaway from this show is you got to get creative with where that X percent goes. Right, for sure. You can't just throw it all in a bond ETF. Mm-hmm. It's just that doesn't make sense. Don't do that. You can't even throw it in, you know, man, we made so much money in double line over the course of the past <laughs> decade or so. And that yep. thing doesn't do anything anymore. No. Right? I mean, in Gunlock is the bond king. But I mean, bonds is just, they're not working. So you got to look elsewhere. You got to mm-hmm. be creative, even if it means taking on a quote unquote active investment, like a piece of real estate. I see nothing wrong with owning a property or two. For sure. You know, I mean, that, that call at two o'clock in the morning would suck. <laughs> but how often does that happen? couple times a year? Maybe. Unless you have a really high maintenance tenant. Oh, my sink's not you know draining properly. Come on, man. You know, <laughs> you can't call me at two in the morning for right. that. Mm-hmm. So that kind of wraps up the show. Any final thoughts from you, D? I would say the last one would be just to, it's not going to be a set it and forget it type of environment. Everything that we just talked about is going to evolve for sure over the next year, you know, as we come out of COVID. And enter into, in my opinion, kind of a new investing period. So, you know, it's not going to be a set it and forget it type of environment. So make sure you are paying attention. No doubt, man. All right. Good stuff today. All of our listeners, thank you. Come get your swag on. Hopped about the bed. Turn my swag on. <laughs> Remember that song? Oh, yeah. If you're watching the video, there is a bigger contrast in the blues. It's just not picking up so well on our camera. It's a fine looking shirt. I'm not going to lie about it. I like it. And it's the performance. It's all stretchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. That's nice. Sweat wicking. <laughs> I think that's what they say. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Mark. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Look, if you wouldn't mind, please go to your podcast app, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you use, and give us a five-star rating and review. You know, the best way for us to continue to educate and enlighten every single one of you is for more and more people to know about us, and your review would help us with that. Also, we've had quite a few listeners reach out to us lately asking about financial planning. So we've decided to offer a special to every single one of our listeners. It's a $495 comprehensive financial plan. No strings attached. You don't have to move your investments under our management. We're not going to use the plan as a gimmick to sell you a product. There's absolutely no hidden agenda and no further obligation on your part. You just get great conflict-free advice from us. And all you have to do is visit your495plan.com. That's your495plan.com. Fill out your info. One of our certified financial planners will reach out and begin to build out your plan. Visit your495plan.com today.